Good morning, good morning, good morning. Well, I'm so excited about these next four weeks because we actually get to start a new series on the book of Jonah. So whether you've grown up in church or whether you've just started your walk with God, I'm really praying that this new sermon series would stretch you and challenge you uh, to grow closer to God. Now, the book of Jonah is this amazing little book in the Old Testament. Uh, it's, it's only about four chapters long, uh, 48 verses long, and you can actually finish reading in about 10 minutes. Uh, you've most likely heard the story about someone named Jonah and how he gets swallowed by a whale. But again, if you've grown up in the church um, or not, we're going to see over the next four weeks uh, that the main character in this book of Jonah is not actually Jonah or the whale. It's actually a fish, but uh, not the fish. But it's actually God. And as we weave in and through uh, the chapters, we'll see who God is, his character, and uh, the mercy of God. And just a side note, if you're wanting more information about the book of Jonah, uh, I recommend Mark Yarbrough's The Book Jonah and Tim Keller's book on Jonah. Very helpful, very helpful. And so as we do with every new sermon series, we're going to pray and ask God to speak into our hearts. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it is alive and active, that in your word there is power to heal and restore and make new. And so we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would soften our hearts and open our ears. Let your word fall on good soil today. Seal your word in our hearts today, Lord, that we would lean into what you're saying through the book of Jonah. We are ready and excited to hear from you, God, over these next couple of weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a famous scene in the, uh, in the Avengers movie, Endgame, and it's at the beginning. And in this one specific scene, we see the big green superhero Hulk walk into a room. There's rubbish all over the floor. You hear beer bottles clanging around. There's minimal light. It's dark. It just looks like a dump. And as Hulk walks uh, into the room, the camera cuts to an unshaved, overweight, sad-looking Thor, looking for another beer bottle on the ground. You know, this once muscular, joyful character is now looking like his whole world has absolutely collapsed. And you can sense in his posture, tone of voice, uh, in his mannerisms that there is, there's like an internal battle going on. And as the movie continues, we find out that Thor is actually carrying around a lot of guilt uh, for failing to stop the purple bad guy, Thanos. Now, now, why mention all this? Just like how Thor is running from the guilt and shame of failure, we're going to see Jonah do a similar thing. Instead of directly addressing issues going on in the heart, Jonah decides to run. He decides to run away from God, the God who is everywhere, the God who is present at every moment. He decides to run from God. And what we're going to see through chapter 1 shortly is that we actually have more in common with Jonah than we realize. Well, let's read uh, Jonah 1. Jonah 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. 
Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. This terrified them, and they, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should, we do to make, uh, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not. For the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Amen. All the information that we have about the book of Jonah points us to Jonah as the author. Now, although the book of Jonah doesn't directly claim that it was written by Jonah, uh, the information points us to Jonah as the author. But if you're like me and you're wondering why on earth is Jonah talking about himself in third person, if you're wondering that, well, it wasn't uncommon for people in the Old Testament to write in third person. If you think about uh, books like Hosea, Joel, Micah, Zephaniah, Haggai, they all have very similar opening. What we have to remember is that uh, this was written to the Hebrew audience. If you read this story with your 21st century lenses on, uh, you're going to miss out on a lot of the little nuances going on. Now, this was a time when the nation of Israel, God's people, they enjoyed peace and prosperity. But spiritually, it was a time of poverty where people became increasingly idolatrous, religion was ritualistic, and justice had become perverse. And as contradictory as it may sound, the peacetime and wealth actually made the nation bankrupt spiritually, uh, morally, and ethically. And it has a lot of, the, a lot of parallels to, to the world that we live in today. So the context of this book places us in a time when Jeroboam II was reigning, about 782 BC to 753 BC. He was prosperous, and he had a long reign as king, but he didn't follow the Lord. It actually says in 2 Kings 14, 24, that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He was an unfaithful king who didn't follow the ways of the Lord, and it was during these days that God sent Jonah to Nineveh, the heart of the Assyrian Empire, to call the nation to repentance. Now, why Nineveh? Well, Nineveh was the name of a province as well as the city. It was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. It's located in modern-day modern northern Iraq. 
And the town was known for its worship of a fish god. The Ninevites were famous for their brutality, exploitation, and violence. And historians would say that uh, the Assyrians boasted of committing detestable acts, such as cutting off uh, the enemy's ears and other body parts, skinning them alive, impaling them outside the gates to show their might and power. They were known for decapitating people, burning people alive, witchcraft, sorcery, prostitution. They were morally bankrupt. You know, the call of Jonah to go to the Ninevites was like if God called you to go to Germany in 1940, in the middle of World War II, to preach to the Nazis. And so all these detestable things that are going on leads us to Jonah chapter 1, where God calls the prophet Jonah to go and to preach to the Ninevites. And so we're going to see three things from this chapter. The call of Jonah, the flight of Jonah, and the pursuit of Jonah. And one important thing to remember about this book is that this is just one story that's a part of a bigger story of the Bible. So number one, the call of Jonah. Verse one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, if you look at your Bibles, the word Lord is all in capital letters. Whenever you see the word Lord all in capital letters, it's the translator's way of showing us that behind the word Lord is the word is the Hebrew word Yahweh. And, and that's the personal name of God in the Old Testament. The author is pointing us to see that this word to Jonah, it came from Israel's God Yahweh to, to Israel's prophet Jonah. And it's a reminder to us and the audience that, that God's words, His statements, instructions and commands, they're important for us to follow. That there's weight behind it. That it is for our benefit. When God tells us to do something, we need to do it. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Names have meaning and significance. What's so significant about Jonah's name? Well, the name Jonah actually means dove. When you think about the Hebrew audience, the the people that would have first heard it, they would have linked it immediately to the nation of Israel, God's people. If you think back to Genesis 8, after the flood, a dove was sent from Noah's ark to find land. And over time, the dove has become a symbol of peace. In Leviticus, the dove was a picture of sacrifice. So Jonah's name means peace, sacrifice. To further that, uh, his genealogical name is Amittai. And if we look back at the Hebrew word, it means truth or faithfulness. So the opening lines of this book is this. The word of the Lord Yahweh came to Jonah, who is a symbol of peace and sacrifice. The son of Amittai, truth. So the scene is set. But we know that, the, that Jonah, the prophet of God, he runs away. So what's going on? Well, we'll see that Jonah is not what his name represents. He's actually the exact opposite. And it should surprise you that a prophet of God hears a direct command from the Lord and and then he disobeys. Something that we have to have in the back of our minds as we read Jonah is that there's a lot of irony and satire that's going on. Irony meaning a uh, surprising reversal. For example, a fire station burns down. A police station gets robbed. 
a Facebook post about how useless Facebook is. That's irony. Satire is used to expose flaws in someone's thinking. It highlights a particular truth. The irony of the opening verse is that Jonah doesn't live up to his name. He refuses the calling of God, he projects no picture of peace, and his life becomes a complete lie. You know, what we find all throughout the Old Testament about the prophets is that when they heard the word of the Lord, they went, they obeyed. If God said to do something, the prophet would do it. But Jonah, he does the exact opposite. He runs away from the Lord and heads in the opposite direction to Tarshish. Number two, the flight of Jonah. Verse three. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. To give you an idea of where, where Jonah was heading, uh, Joppa was uh, where he boarded the ship. And we've got a map of that right there. So Joppa there is where he uh, boarded the, the ship. And instead of going about 550 miles uh, east, which is about 900 k's, uh, he goes 4,000 kilometers the other way, west. It wasn't that he just wanted to run away. He wanted to hide. In the English text, uh, it, it says that Jonah went down to Joppa, paid for his ticket, and went aboard, literally down on board. Jonah runs away from God and goes down to Joppa, and then down to board the boat. And later we'll read that he goes down into the belly of the earth, down into the fish. What's this imagery trying to show us? Running from the Lord leads to a downward cycle. Disobedience to God leads to a downward spiral. We've seen it straight from the beginning of creation with Adam and Eve disobeying God. The disobedience to God led to the introduction of sin. And that downward spiral fractured our relationship with God. And what we see in verse 3 is that Jonah rebelled against God. He sinned by disobeying God. And we see through the story that this act of sin has potentially devastating effects on those around him. The sailors, his emotional state, his relationship with God. When you sin, it always leads to a downward spiral. Sin never just affects yourself. It also affects those closest around you. So don't underestimate the consequences of sin and rebellion because it only leads to one direction, and that direction is down. James 1, 14 to 15 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to, to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives forth, uh, brings forth death. What James is trying to show us is that sinning against God starts in the heart as a desire. And when we act upon that desire, sin grows. And it ultimately separates our relationship with God. I love this quote. It says, Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Uh, there's a famous story about Elvis Presley. 
And like many celebrities and musicians who find themselves in, in the spotlight, um, Elvis struggled with the fame. He struggled with the temptation and everything that came along with being a celebrity. In, in 1958, uh, following an Easter service, Elvis told this to his pastor. He said this to his pastor. I'm the most miserable young man you'll ever see. I've got all the money I've ever needed to spend. I've got millions of fans. I've got friends. I'm doing what you taught me not to do, and I'm not doing the things you taught me to do. It doesn't matter whether you're a politician, a president, a celebrity, or a member of the community. Rebellion against God will always lead to a downward spiral. The question for us today is, are you running from God? What are you trying to hide from God? If you're in this place and you can relate to Jonah because your life feels like Jonah's, things are out of control, you're in this storm right now, and you're on this downward spiral of sin, you think you've gone too far, you think you've spiraled too far for God to save you, then you've come to the right place. Because God doesn't stop pursuing Jonah. God doesn't stop trying to get Jonah's attention. And God will not stop pursuing your heart, no matter how far gone you think you are. Number three, the pursuit of Jonah. Verse four, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. So Jonah gets on the ship. They set sail and he's relieved. He's convinced himself that that he's running away from God. That God would forget and that he would just end up sending someone else to Nineveh. And so this begins God's pursuit of Jonah. You know, we see it again in verse 4 that the word Lord is all in capital letters. And what we need to see from from that is that the storm wasn't an accident. The storm isn't a normal storm, but it has originated from God. So we see Jonah go below deck and he's sleeping. He's fast asleep. You know, if you've ever tried running away from your responsibilities... If you've ever tried covering up your lies, it's tiring. And for many of us, sleep is an escape from our responsibilities, from reality, from life. Sleep is a coping mechanism for a lot of us because at the end of the day, we're not just running away from our responsibilities or the realities of life, but we're actually running away from God. So the captain goes to Jonah and is shocked to see him sleeping. How can you sleep? And he says, get up, call on your God. And the Hebrew word for get up is the exact same word used by God in verse 2. When God instructs Jonah to get up and go to Nineveh. And that irony that we've mentioned comes into play here again. Because it's as though the captain is repeating the exact same command that God gave Jonah. In verse 7, we see this interesting image of the sailors casting lots to find out who was responsible for the storm. If you cast a lot, you would throw small stones into like a a container and the stones would come up a certain way, indicating yes or no answers. And by process of elimination, the sailors 
concluded that it was Jonah's relationship with God that was the problem. One pastor said that this casting of lots was like the magic eight ball. Did anyone have that growing up? No? Okay, (laughs) just me. You know, you would ask it a question. Should I go into work today? Shake, 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 shake. Yes. Should I marry this person? Shake, shake, shake. No. Casting lots was a similar thing back then. The sailors would, in essence, be shaking like a magic eight ball and asking who was responsible for this storm. Now, is this the best way to make decisions? Probably not. But we have to remember that Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. What this verse is saying is that God, not our techniques, in casting lots or magic eight balls, but God controls the events of life. And this is not promising that the use of uh, magic eight balls or casting lots will always tell God's will. But we have to know that God in any given instance can use lots or any other means of prediction to reveal His truth. That God is the Lord of the lots. He is the one who allowed Jonah to be exposed. And so the sailors asked uh, Jonah these five questions. And they really land at this one question. Who are you? What is your identity? And in verse 9, we read an answer that's basically just saying, I'm a Christian and I go to church on, on Christmas and Easter. And that's something assumed of every believer, especially if you're a prophet of God. But as you read this, there should be some tension in your heart. And it's the question of if Jonah knows that the Lord is the God of the heavens and the earth, then why are his actions and his words so different? Why is he such a hypocrite? If he is a prophet of God, he's saying one thing, but he's doing another thing. You know, what adds to the irony of the story is that even the sailors, the Gentile sailors who don't know God, even they question Jonah. Even they recognize the sin that was committed by Jonah. You may know people who call themselves Christians, but are living double lives. You may be like Jonah. You may know that God is God, but are running away from going all in into the kingdom of God. The truth is that we all have inconsistencies in our lives. And our goal isn't perfection because we can't actually get there. But the thing about our walk with the Lord is that that our actions and our words, they need to line up. We can say all the right things. We can attend church. We can memorize scripture. We can brag about all that stuff. But if our actions and our words don't line up, then we're just hypocrites. The question for us is, is there consistency in our lives? Are we consistent between our words and our actions? If we were to see how you lived your life this week, what what would we see? In verse 11, the sailors asked Jonah, what should we do? And Jonah at this point, he knows deep down in his heart that there's uh, a connection between the storm and the disobedience to God. He says in verse 12, I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And interestingly, he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. 
And there are two schools of thought on that verse. Two schools of thought that, that scholars debate over. The first one is this. That Jonah said, pick me up and throw me into the sea uh, because he would rather die than repent. Essentially, he's saying that he would rather die than go to the Ninevites and share the love of God. That he would rather die than obey God. The second one is this. That Jonah finally began to see himself beyond uh, himself. That he finally began to see the other sailors around him. That he was finally coming to his senses. He was finally submitting to God. Now, how do we read verse 12? What's the right way to read that? Is he submitting to God or is he rebelling against God? Now, Tim Keller has some great insight into this. And he does a whole sermon series on, on Jonah. And I think his answer is spot on. What's the right answer? This is the right answer. Somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. Because if we read verse 12, he says, I know it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. He hasn't fully repented to God yet, but he's beginning to feel the responsibility of the situation. And so they throw Jonah overboard, and it says that they greatly feared the Lord. The sailors greatly feared the Lord. Again, we see the irony of this situation. The sailors now worship God by making a sacrifice and vows. And the Gentile sailors now fearing the Lord and doing what Jonah didn't do. We're showing how the sailors extended grace to Jonah's life by trying to row back. And that's juxtaposed with, with Jonah's disobedience in taking God's grace to Nineveh. The sailors feared the Lord while Jonah claimed that he feared the Lord. What's interesting to see is that uh, the Gentile sailors actually looked more like prophets of God than, than Jonah. And so there are two things that I want to leave you with today. Two things to implement into your life. The first one is this. Align your words and actions. I don't know if you guys saw a couple of weeks ago in the celebrity news about uh, James Corden, the whole uproar with James Corden. And the story is that he was out uh, at a lunch with his wife in New York, uh, but the servers made an error with, with his meal, and he started treating them unkindly. Now, whether that's true or not, who knows? But I think the sad thing is that, uh, that the image that he wants to portray through his TV, TV work and comedy uh, is that he's a nice, giving, loving person. But when we hear stories, like multiple stories of him uh, treating people unkindly, uh, it goes against what he projects through his comedy and through his TV work. His words and his actions, they don't actually line up. What we need to do as a people of God is align our words and our actions. How? Go and ask a friend, a family member, a colleague, someone who knows you well, and ask them, when you look at my life, are my words and actions the same? And if they say yes, then great. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep loving God. Keep doing your thing. And if they say no, then you need to sit down and really ask yourself, what is going on? You need to ask yourself where the disconnect is between your words and your actions. For example, if, you're, if by your words you're preaching love, peace, joy, 
but in your actions, you're living like you're the most important person in the world, then, then the disconnect is in your heart. The disconnect is that you think you're the most important person in the world. It's a disconnect between what Jesus taught, taught us about loving others and the way you view yourself. For us to live lives where our actions and words line up, we need to face the tough reality that, that we're actually broken, that we're not perfect. And the only way to truly align our words and our actions is to turn to God. Number two, stop running away from God. This one's a little tougher because uh, it's going to force you to sit down and, and face some tough questions. Schedule in time this week. Block out some time in the morning or at night and really take time to sit before God and ask Him, God, would you reveal to me the thing that I'm trying to hide from you? Jonah ran away from God because he couldn't surrender the desires in his heart. What is it that you need to surrender to God today? What is it that you need to let go of? What are you trying to hide from God? What is it that you need to repent of? We stop running away from God by repenting, turning around and saying, God, I surrender my life to you. You know, when we dissect everything that's going on in, Ch- in Jonah chapter 1, the central message of this chapter is this. That sin leads us to a downward spiral. The sin that Jonah commits is disobedience to God's word. He blatantly rebels and goes against the very word of God. And the Bible calls that sin. And the Bible says that the punishment for sin is death. Not only uh, just penalty for Not only is it just a penalty for death, and not only is it just a physical death, but it's an eternal death. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Every single one of us is sinful, and we all fall short of the glory of God. The reality is that there's only one person who can align our words and our actions, and that person is Jesus. When we come to realize that, uh, that we're actually so broken, that we're actually so messed up, when we realize that we can't save ourselves, it's only then that we can turn to Jesus. The good news of the gospel is that we don't need to run away from God anymore. That Jesus, as fully man and fully God, he has taken our sins on the cross. And by faith in Jesus, our Savior, We have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins. Jesus was the only one who went into the storm and just like Jonah was thrown overboard. Jesus was thrown into the sea, but no one saved him. No one provided a big fish to save him like Jonah. But Jesus willingly went into the storm and died a sinner's death for us. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. He was willing to die for us. To give your life and to be right with God takes a moment. It takes a moment to surrender your heart to Jesus. But for your words and actions to line up, it takes process. It takes time. And the God who said that he'll never leave or forsake us, 
He is too good to leave us on our own. He is too good to leave us where we're at, even when we're running in the opposite direction, like Jonah. He continues to pursue us. So whoever you are, whatever your past has looked like, whatever you've done in the past, whatever you will do in the future, running away from God will always lead to a downward spiral. As one pastor puts it, what tickets have you purchased in order to board a boat away from God? When we run away from God, there is always a boat waiting at Joppa. There is always one last ticket for sale with your name on it. And this ticket gets you headed to your very own Tarshish. And my plea, my advice for you is don't get on board. It's never too late to stop, turn around, and run to God. Let's close our eyes in prayer.